You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live Uncommon. We are continuing our leadership series with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and also author of Pastoral Leadership from Concordia Publishing House. Bishop Hardy, welcome back to The Coffee Hour. Great to see you. We are digging into more topics in leadership. What does it mean to be a pastoral leader? What are the responsibilities of pastoral leader? Um, Let's go back to, I I think we, we covered this probably in the first episode, but it's been a while since we've done that. What is a pastoral leader? And then we'll talk about the more about the responsibilities and what a pastoral leader um, uh, is responsible for. Yeah, I mean, a, a high quality pastoral leader clearly understands the responsibilities and the aspects of caring for the people of God. As I say at the beginning of the book, and it's a theme throughout the entirety of the book, pastoral leadership, simply put, is pastoral care. And in pastoral care, the highest form of pastoral care is the word, preaching the word of God and, and administering his sacraments unequivocally. But it doesn't stop there. It's not over there. And it, it doesn't slow down after that. In fact, in some respects, it, it increases in an intensity and effort because pastoral care sometimes uh, is done over long periods of time with people of various needs. And the high-quality pastoral leader understands that he is accountable before God. In the installation ordination rite, uh, we hear this phrase, you must confess now and before the Lord God, who on the last day you will be held accountable for. And then the questions are asked, right? Do you believe in the Word of God as an errant infallible? Uh, and, and every time I do that installation rite or that ordination rite where that, that comes up, you must give an account now and on the last day. It just, it hits home again. A pastoral leader is a servant of the church and a proclaimer of the word of God. What is that relationship like between leadership, the title, and the responsibilities that go along with that title? Yeah, so let's just be very clear about the title. The title is an important title. My pastor told me when I was a young man, when he told me that I was going to be a pastor, that I will lose my first name and it will no longer be Jameson, it will be pastor. But there's more to leadership than the title. And, and what that means is there's, there's relational aspects to, to, to the position. There is responsibility aspects to the position. I mean, this is one of the areas where I have a great deal of respect for the Roman Catholic Church. The, the terminology that they use for their clergy father is an enduring term, but so also is the term pastor. It's a relational enduring term. It's a term that declares a relationship between one person and another person. And, and much like in the Roman Catholic Church, the, the relationship between father and children, the priest and, and the people of God, the shepherd and the sheep in the Lutheran Church, it, it's it's weighty. It has great responsibility behind it, and it ought not be entered into lightly because the one thing about a shepherd is, and Jesus says this about any faithful, there's no greater love than this than to lay down your life for a friend. But in my case, I I believe that that exhortation for the shepherd is even higher. 
you leave the 99 to go find the lost one. You lay your life down in front of the, the wolf or the bear or the lion. And, you know, I, I jokingly say, although I'm very serious when I say it, I scored very high in protecting it. It's one of the reasons I became a pastor. When you are a shepherd, there's a great deal of protectedness that you exhibit in the relationship. And so while there's far more to leadership than the title, the title does have significance and that is relationship. When we talk about title having significance and looking at our practice today, I think we, we've moved as a culture away from using titles when addressing one another because we want to sound more personable. We want to, you know, what, 50 years ago, we wouldn't have thought of calling our pastor, addressing our pastor by his first name. But today, it's it's pretty common practice to address pastor by first name. How how does that impact a leader when we don't use their title when addressing them? Does that make a difference? Do you think? Well, I you know it's ironic you asked this question today. Just yesterday in church, I was teaching Bible study, and this this topic came up. And for me, it's not an offense personally. But I do enjoy causing people some uncomfortable moments when they just simply say Jameson. And I say, who? Jameson. Who? Uh, you know, Pastor Hardy. Oh, yes. How are you doing? It's, it's not an offense when somebody doesn't call me pastor. It's more of a compliment when they call me pastor because it demonstrates a relationship between me and them. For them just to call my name, anybody can call my name. But not everybody can call me pastor. And, and I mean, there's a lot of people that do. And as Bishop, you know, I, I have 53,000 members of the English district. And, and so, you know, a lot of people call me Bishop, but when people say to me, how should I address you? Reverend, doctor, Bishop. I always say the same thing. Call me pastor. Because that, that title is more important to me than any other title I have. Because that title is a, is a title that gives significant weight to what I do. And that is shepherd the sheep, you know, protect the flock. And, and so when people, I had a member in Pittsburgh, he's still alive. He's a great man, great friend of mine still to this day. He used to make it kind of a comedic routine to call me Jameson in public with other members of the church and other members would correct him. And, and he would just do it to make him angry. Privately, I always told them, you can call me whatever you want, but publicly don't offend other people because my congregation in Pittsburgh, our Savior Lutheran Church, and then Peace when we merged, just a lot of great people who loved the office. And for them to call me pastor was just as much of a joy as for me to hear it. And so we cannot discount that term pastor for just the pastor. Don't forget the one calling you pastor and the importance to them to have that relational term connected to you and them. So if that makes sense, I think too often we focus on just the pastor, the man in the office. Don't forget about the lay people who are calling him pastor. It's just as much of an important title for them and a, and a declarative title for them. Yeah, it's it's a reminder 
to you and to me what our relationship is about. It's a reminder right. to you as pastor that that you're here to shepherd me, to shepherd the and, and to the people who are hearing our conversation, that you are here to shepherd, to shepherd us as pastor. And when we when we set that aside because we think it's not personal, I don't know. I can't think of a, a, a more personal way to address my pastor than to call him pastor. Right. Does I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm uh, alone in that, but I, I it just seems to me like a very personal but also important title. Yeah, I think too, uh, and I, I see this happening in some congregations. The idea that people would just out of the blue call me Jameson, or or I went by Jamie in high school, you know, just to call me out like that, especially if I'm not in a tire or in in a position where people would immediately recognize me as the pastor. I mean, I'm not a self-righteous kind of person this way. But whenever I'm working in the office, whenever I'm teaching, preaching, serving on Sunday, I wear a collar, not because I believe you have to, but because I believe it's easily identifiable for people, especially guests. And if people were just calling me Jameson on a Sunday morning and I had a shirt and tie on and a guest was there, how would they know who I was? Especially in our case, at our congregation, it says, speak to the pastor uh, before you take the Lord's Supper if you're a guest. How would they have any clue that I'm the pastor if I just looked like everybody else and, and, and was being called by my first name like everybody else was? And again, I want to be clear, if, if guys choose to be called pastor, you know, so-and-so, or even just, you know, their first name, I'm not being judgmental. I'm simply saying there's a relationship element to this that must be understood from a leadership perspective. There has to be clearly defined boundaries on who the leader is. And the leader is the pastor from a spiritual perspective. And, and those who disagree with that do not understand what the office of the ministry is essentially about. The office of the ministry is called by God to lead the people of God. It's just simply pointed in the scripture. Where does participation play into this? We're talking about, you know, a, a leader having a title and a leader having these relationships with people. How, what is that participation of the leader in in the life of the church outside of maybe outside of word and sacrament ministry? What does that look like for a pastoral leader? Yeah, that that is a phenomenal question because it's one of the the themes uh, of chapter six, and that is participation is a key element in the overall effectiveness of a pastor. I have had so many instances where I've been visiting at a parish and I've had lay people come up and say, you know, I don't know what's wrong with my pastor. You know, we had a potluck last night. He didn't come and help set up. He stayed for 10 minutes and he left. He didn't stay and help clean up. I mean, presence as a pastoral leader is more than just standing in the room. Participation in every aspect in life of the congregation. I've taken a page out of uh, the leadership books and, and styles that I've seen over my time, and that is this. Don't ever ask your people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. And any good leader understands that. I mean, you know, real quick story here. I was in my 10th year. We had just merged the congregations in Pittsburgh, and we were having a conversation. We had to buy a new tractor to cut our five acres of lawn. And I was advocating for getting a bucket loader type tractor with a undercarriage 60-inch and one of the members said, well, pastor, the only reason you want that is so you have a toy to play with. And I said, he's right. 
Because in the wintertime, when our plow guys would plow the parking lot, they would inevitably push the snow in a place where we'd lose four or five parking spots. So during the week when I had nothing to do, I'd go get the tractor out, get the bucket loader and clean those spots out. They didn't understand that it was therapeutic for me to be on that tractor and feel like a big kid as I was, you know, livering the bucket loader. And I mean, it, it was a part of my service to the church. But the truth of the matter was, it was also the best financial decision because this specific make and model with this bucket loader was cheaper than the one that the other guy wanted to buy. And so for me, it was a stewardship element. And yes, I wanted to act like a big kid. I'm not embarrassed by it. Honesty. Honesty is valuable. We're talking about leadership with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District and author of Pastoral Leadership. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're talking leadership with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy. He's Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership. You were talking a a, a little bit about actions. Um, Why is it important that words must be matched with actions? I think you were talking about like a a potluck or a fellowship dinner or something like that uh, just a little bit ago. And it, it's more than just, it, it's important to more than just be present in the room, but also to to be able to work alongside those you're leading as well. Nothing causes people to want to follow a leader more than trust that that leader is willing to do whatever it takes, including the very things he's asking you to do as the leader. And in my career, this is a hallmark. It was enjoyable for me to to do the physical laboring in the church, but it was also simultaneously relationship building with the people that I serve. And, you know, I think for any good pastoral leader, he's going to come to the understanding that laboring with your people is as important as encouraging people to labor. If that, if that makes sense, well, the church is built on volunteers. And oftentimes I would, when, when we had a big campaign of some sort, not always with money, but I mean, a campaign of some kind of, of collecting this or doing that, I was always the first one to commit to whatever it was, not because I wanted the church to see me, my good works and to give me credit, but as the leader, I wanted them to know I was doing the very thing I'm now asking them to do, and they need to be able to see that. And I think th- this is really a military principle. The greatest military leaders are those who ask their men to do the things they've already done or who are willing to do themselves. 
Why is it important for a leader to be concerned about the success of the people around them? It's it's not just their own success. It's the success of, of others. Why is that important for a leader? Yeah, I contend personally that there is no greater responsibility for a pastoral leader than to raise up and help others become successful in what they do. And why I say that is I pride, and this is going to sound horrible because I am using the word pride, but it's really the only descriptive word I can think of that describes this. But I prided myself as a parish pastor on having a laity that was so well-educated if on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning, something happened to me, I went to the hospital, we had a public service, my elders and my deacons could carry out the functions, not not Lord's Supper and, and, and confession and absolution, but could carry out the functions of the church in an emergency situation to be able to have some kind of a public worship service. And, and I, I had five men over my career that I took through Walther's Church of Ministry, Walther's Law and Gospel, the Book of Concord, you know, any number of confessional books in our church. And I was confident that those men were prepared and more importantly, that they could they could be the frontline defense when I wasn't present. And and I, I'm I'm a firm believer in the leader is only as successful as the people that he serves. And so pastors are not always focusing on raising up other leaders in the church. They're, they're in some respects failing their own leadership job currently today. What about the fear of, well, what if I equip or support these other people to lead in a way, but they end up doing a better job than I do at that? <laughs> is, is, is that a legit fear? I, I think it's legitimate. But the, the best leaders understand that they are only successful as those who are with them, under them, by them. I mean, I have very good pastors in my district who are better that, than me at this or that specific thing. I'm not intimidated when they're doing, I'll give you an example. I have one man who's a phenomenal Greek scholar. I'm not. I can do it, but I'm not phenomenal. He's phenomenal. I have no problem putting him out front, empowering him, you know, encouraging him, because that's a gift God gave him. I think for me as a leader, I think any good successful leader, they're not going to be afraid of those who are better than them at any given thing. They're going to actually accentuate that person because the better that person is, the better you will be as a leader. Because if you have the courage to put somebody who's better than you at any given thing out front, it shows the confidence you have in your leadership abilities. And by the way, in my life, some of the weakest leaders are those who prevent the successful, talented people from showcasing their talents. I have a young pastor in my district right now. I'm investing a lot of time and energy into him because I see greatness in him. And that means that greatness one day might outshine me. I doubt it, by the way, but it might. Okay, 
And, and, and if it does, I will be thrilled. And if that means he gets to the point where, let's say, he runs against me and the district elects him as bishop, the district would be better for it. And I think that's the problem with a lot of leaders. They fear losing their position with people who are better. I look at it this way. I want the church to be as, as best as it can be. And if that means I'm not the right person to be the leader in the church, then I want the best guy that, that's going to be there. Because my desire is for the church to be the most successful. And if I can help the church be the most successful, then I'm willing to be the leader. If I can't, I shouldn't be the leader. And I think that's the difference between guys who actually care about the work over guys who just care about position. Mm-hmm. What is the foundation? Where Where is the foundation in, in Scripture? How does this all come back to a, a foundation on God's word for making all these decisions as a leader, making uh, unpopular decisions as a leader, things that, that you may be criticized for on, I don't know, on social media or in, 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 in culture. How does that all come back to a foundation in God's word? Yeah, well, let's be clear. Leading means taking a stand that others may not like. It's, it's, it really is that simple. Leading means taking a stand. And that stand must always be a firm stand rooted in the word of God on any number of topics, whether it be a social issue like abortion, gay marriage, any of these issues, or whether it's just, you know, reminding somebody that they shouldn't be excessive in their personal life of, let's say, drinking or being a lover of money. I mean, taking a stand is what God commands. Uh, Loving the neighbor means you're willing to lay down your life for the neighbor. But you've got to first love your neighbor before you're willing to lay down your life for your neighbor. And and too often in in the Bible, the weakness of the spirit overtakes the logic of the heart. Moses was like that. Abraham was like that. Joshua was like that. Jonah was like that. David was like that. I mean, David is the greatest example of them all of allowing his own heart, selfish desires, overtake him above and against what God commanded. And yet God still used him in great ways. So, you know, and, and when Nathan told him that he's the rich man that stole the poor man's sheep or goat, you know, that man should die. Well, you are that man. He immediately repented. That didn't mean he didn't have consequences. He absolutely had consequences. He lost his firstborn with Bathsheba. But the truth is, He repented and God restored him and still used him in great ways. And in that example, there was a a meaningful relationship between David and Jonathan, right? Yeah, no, no, certainly. I mean, you know, and and I think the prophet Nathan, you know, when when he when he said that, it's as if the criticism is not always about you. In this case, the prophet used the story of the rich man taking the poor man, and yet he was talking directly about David, right? And, and, and it's amazing to me that, that this is such a point. The other one is the Old Testament story of Abraham with Sarah and Jesus and the two angels visiting him. Sarah was in the other room. Jesus said, you know, your, your wife will give birth, and she's laughing. Jesus asked Abraham, notice in that story, 
Jesus asks Abraham, why is she laughing? Not her. You see? And, and, and that's, that's the important thing as well. You know, sometimes criticism is necessary to get our eyes right, right, right focused. Instead of, instead of looking at ourselves, we look at, at the failure. So, you know, this is why I said in a previous episode, you know, Satan's desire is for us to be overwhelmed at seeing our failures. God's desire is to see our failures be forgiven through his son, Jesus Christ. With just about a minute left, other thoughts, final thoughts on responsibilities in this office of pastoral leader. Yeah, I think ultimately for me, James chapter one sums it up best, verse two to four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That, that is a passage that reminds me of God's mercy and grace in my life. And I think for all leaders, it's a passage that we should all be reminded of often. You can find Pastoral Leadership at cph.org. Our guest, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Bishop Hardy, thanks so much for being our guest on The Coffee Hour. Looking forward to our next episode of the series. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.